I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. Uh, I've been teaching to you about how to use an interlinear Bible with a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance in the Greek text of the New Testament. You, if you don't, if you leave definition, you've left the truth. Some people insist on Pentecostal tongues. There's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues in the Bible. There's two words, dialectos. And dia and the word glossa. That's all there is. There's no such thing as T O N G U E tongue. The reason they put dialect and particularly glossa, they would say when they would run across some young guy uh, in battle in the 1500s, they'd say, and the guy was speaking some foreign language, they'd say, what tongue dost thou speak? Except they wouldn't say tongue. They would say glossa. Get our word glossary from that. A glossary is a section of a book with words that are foreign to the to average reader. Glossa and dialectos. That is our word dialect. There was a different dialect in every city-state of the common street language. That's why they said in Acts 2, How hear we ever man in our own dialect wherein we were born? These were Jews from every nation under heaven and then been scattered all throughout the earth because they went after Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and all those sun and tree gods all through the Old Testament from 1 Kings all the way through Second Chronicles. And they also went after those same gods over in the book of Judges. Judges. And God says, if you do this, I'll scatter you. If you go after all these other gods and other doctrines, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Have y'all noticed how that fits in every lesson I'm teaching? So he scatters them all over the world, and he gives them in Exodus, the 23rd chapter, and other verses in the Old Testament. He gives them three festivals that all the males are required to come back to, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, which is also the Feast of Huts, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was coupled with the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. Well, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering, that's a seven-month period. Starts in March, April, ends in September, October. And so all of these Jews from all over the world, after they're scattered by the beast, have to come back. That's God's law. And if they are dedicated to the Word of God, that's what they were in Acts 2, then they would come back. And when they came back, this map is out of what you call the compendia. And they could not understand each other because they had been scattered for at least 600 years. Northern Israel for over 722 years. They had been scattered throughout the world. So they come back to these feasts and they don't even understand each other at Pentecost, Passover, and Feast of England. They don't understand each other. They all speak in different Glossa and dialects, and they said, How here we ever man in our own dialect, not tongue, dialect wherein we were born. Now, if I'm going to teach you how to study the Bible, 
how to look up these Greek words and how to recognize them in a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and recognize the Greek and how you look them up in an interlinear Bible which has the Greek on the top line. That's the original text. The original text is Greek. You guys don't want to argue with me over the Greek. You're ignorant. You're foolish. You want to fight me? you got to fight God. He's the one that, that had it inspired in the Greek. Now, first thing you got to do, you got to learn the Greek alphabet. Let me give it to you one more time. And this is the way you're going to find out what things actually mean. It, you can look it up. When you look things up in a concordance, it'll have, it'll have a word like ordained. You look up ordained alphabetically in the English and have every time the word ordained is in the Bible from the beginning, from the first part of the Old Testament all the way through the Old Testament as it appears, all the way into the New Testament the way it appears. And what you do is you look to the right of that word. And there'll be a, there'll be a number here uh, like 1096. That's one of the words. That's one of the numbers. Or 5087. Well, if you've got a 5087 to 1096 under ordained, those are two different words. They're not the same word, but they've been translated ordained. 5087, I know that has to do with tithame. Tithame means to level or place. To level or place. When Jesus said, No man takes my life from me, I lay my life down. Tithame. 1096 is genomai. G-I-N-O-M-A-I. Now these are going to be under the word ordained. And you've got about 12 different numbers for the word ordained. Do you have to look them up? You bet. Because they're not the same word. Our King James Bible has a lot of corruption in it. And then, genomai means to cause to be. And the more, it means to cause to exist. We get the word gene from this. Or genesis, G-E-N-N-E-S-I-S. Genesis is our word genesis. It means nativity or birth. Nativity or birth. So, I'm not going to go into more of these, but you've got about 12 different words in the Greek for the word ordained. And it'll be different numbers over here to the right. So what you do is you take that number, you look it up. In the back, you've got a Hebrew dictionary in the back, and you've got a Greek dictionary in the back. And if the word is in the Hebrew, you look it up in the Hebrew dictionary because the... Because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. There was no English 2,000 years ago. You guys want to fight me over the Greek words? What's wrong with you? You can't fight over the Greek. There was no English. English started developing in the neighborhood of 1,200 years ago. 2,000 years ago was when Jesus walked the earth. He, everybody in the world was speaking a different dialect of the Greek. What about the Hebrew during Jesus' day? The Pharisees had more or less, had more or less deified 
the Hebrew language. And they said if you went into the temple or the synagogue, you had to, you had to offer your sacrifices in Hebrew and only certain people were allowed to speak the Hebrew and that was the Pharisees and those doctors of the law in the temple or in the synagogue. Now, whether you like that or not, that's the truth. Now, let me erase this. So if you want to learn how to use an interlinear Bible, let me say it one more time. I'm going to give it to you again. You've got over here. Let me show you. All right. Let's go to, well, let me see here. Let me go back this way. All right. Here is here is the word the in the Greek language. Here is the word good, and we know that all things work together for good. Agathos, good. There's twenty four ways just to spell the word the. Does that matter? It matters completely. The you got twenty four ways. You got singular, plural, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, under the singular, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, under the plural. I've had people say, I don't know what you mean by gender. Gender means either masculine, male, female, woman, feminine, or neuter. Neuter means a thing, a desk, a table, a car. It has no gender to it. It's just neuter gender. And then you have the cases. Mask, you have, I'll get it in a minute. You have nominative, genitive, dative, and accusative case. You say, I don't understand that. Nominative means the subject of the sentence or the predicate nominative. You say, I don't know what that means. I'll explain it to you. Predicate nominative. And I'm not teaching advanced English. This is 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade English out of 1952, 53, 54, 55. That's all it is. High school English is what I'm telling you. It's not advanced English. So predicate nominative... I'll just put N-O-M. In the subject, you've got the subject of the sentence. You diagram it like this. Here's the subject. Jim. Jim. And then you've got the verb. We either have a being verb, which is called a helping verb, being or helping verb, or you'll have an action verb. Action means to... to do do an action, throw, jump, run. That's an action verb. Being verb is be, is, am, are, was, were. I was told to memorize these when I was about the sixth or seventh grade, so I did, and I never forgot them. Be, is, am, are, was, were, and some of them are plural. And some are singular. He is, that would be singular, am, I am, they are, they would be plural, he was, 
we were, so that would be plural, this would be plural, this would be singular, this would be singular, singular. Single means one. Plural. These are my was, were, being, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. All of those are being or helping verbs. They don't show action, but they help the action verb. Jim was throwing the ball. So it's helping the throwing. Was. He was throwing the ball. Now, ball, ball would be be the direct object. A direct object receives the action of the verb from the subject. Ball. He's throwing ball. If you can learn this, now that ball is a direct object. If you can learn this, this is not the predicate nominative. This is the direct object. Direct object. If you can learn, throwing is an action verb. Jim is the subject. Ball is the, it is the direct object that receives the action of the verb that Jim is throwing. Then you have a predicate nominative. What is this on this chart up here? The direct object is, this is, Accusative case. That's the direct object. Dative case is the indirect object. Jim threw John the ball. Jim threw John. John. He's not throwing John. He threw John the ball. So Jim is throwing ball to John. Indirect object, direct object. Direct object would be accusative case. The indirect object would be the dative case. It's pretty simple. And then the nominative case would be the subject. Is this important? Well, yeah, it's important. Jim is. Always when you have a predicate nominative, predicate nominative, that is the same thing in the predicate that equals the subject. And you always point this, this uh, division here back towards the subject. Jim is the pastor. If you learn just this, is, always with a predicate nominative, you always have to have a being verb. If you learn that, you're learning the verbs, you're learning the noun, you're learning this noun here. This is a predicate nominative. points back to Jim. Now, you've got the nominative case. That's the subject. Or, it is, it is the subject, nominative case, or the predicate nominative. The, the accusative case is the subject throwing the ball throwing, and that's the accusative case. That's the direct object all through here, depending on if it's masculine, feminine, neuter gender in the singular, masculine, feminine, neuter gender in the plural. 
That's what it is. There's 24 ways just to spell the. Is that important? Absolutely important. Because I'm going to show you something I didn't show you last week. Now. Then the you have the genitive case. Genitive case is very important because the genitive case shows possession. This is extremely important. Just by finding defining the word baptism of repentance. Baptism of repentance. When you define the word of repentance, it will tell you that it is genitive case. Genitive comes from the word gene. It's from the same family. Baptism has to be, true baptism has to be possessed by repentance. That proves that baptism, true baptism cannot possibly be water. It has to be blood. When you repent, you're turned and think differently. That's death to self. And that's true baptism. Death to self. You have to learn. Now let me give you your alphabet one more time. Your alphabet. In order to look something up in an interlinear Bible, you have to know this alphabet. I'll give it to you. I may not explain it as well as I did last week, but I'll give it to you. Their alphabet is basically our alphabet. You just have to learn what their letters look like. Instead of A, B, C, D, they have got A, B, G, D. You have to learn that a G looks like a little short, stubby Y. That's what it looks like. So you got their A looks like our A. They name their letters Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. So you got A, B, G, D. The D looks like you're going to make a D, but you just curl it up on top instead of coming down. You just curl it up like that. So that's a D. Then you go into easy. From here to here. It's like saying easy. It's E-Z-E. This is a short E, like met. Eh, met. This is a long E, like they. A. This is pronounced A. That's an Ada. An Ada on the end of a word is always feminine gender. Feminine. If you'll notice over here, on this chart... All the feminine genders have an eta, a tau eta sigma, a tau eta, tau eta nu. All these have eta in them. That means it's feminine. <coughs> so when you look <coughs> look at a word and the end of the word has eta or eta nu, and that's an end, or you have just an eta, eta s, a to S, 
Ada Nu, Ada S, and Ada is always feminine gender, on the end of a word. Always. Alright. Now, I've got A, B, G, D. E, Z, E. You notice the Z is here, not at the end of the alphabet. That's because they were here first when they invented the alphabet, and they put it where they wanted to. So there's the Z. Then you get a TH. TH, you got three letters that are actually two letters in our alphabet, but they're one letter in the Greek. You have a PH, as in phileo, that's one of the words. That's been translated love, means affection. Then you have a, a CH, C-H-R-I-A, Kriya, which is the word anoint. Or you have Christos, which starts the same way, anoint, anoint. And then you have a P-S, Pz- Z is pronounced P-S-E-E. And we think of the word P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. That's the word natural in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Natural. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God that foolishes him. So you have a P-S, a C-H, and a P-H. And these are all one letter in a P-K-P-Z. Along with along with the theta, T-H-L-I-B-O. Thalibo, that is the word uh, narrow. Narrow is the way. Then you've got, once you get to, you got A-B-G-D-E-Z-T-H, theta. Then you go into our alphabet, I. Okay, no J, no Q, no Q. I, K, L. The I looks like our I, the K looks like our K. The L looks like an upside down Y, small, looks an upside down B in the large. These are the large, these are the small. Then you've got M looks like an upside down H with a little hook on it. Then you've got an N that looks like a V. And then you've got an X. This is not an X down here. That's a key. That's a CH. This is an X. X E N O S. Kazenos. It's pronounced Kazi. Kazi. Well, you say, I don't look like it to me. What about xylophone? Starts with an X. Xylophone. That's a kazee. So you got I-K-L-M-N-X. The X is there and not at the end of the alphabet because they invented the alphabet and started it and they can do what they want with it. O-P. That is pi. O-P. You got two O's. A short O and a long O. The long O is pronounced O. The short O is pronounced Ah. And then you got P R. You just take I R and knock off the front leg, and you got their R. R S. In the middle of a word, that's an S. On the end of a word, it looks like our S, a little small hook on the bottom. S T U. 
Let me say that again. I-K-L-M-N-X-O-P-R-S-T-U. Can you figure that out? It's our alphabet. Just learn what the letters look like. S-T-U, an upsilon. This is pronounced upsilon. That's rho, sigma, tau. Upsilon, phi, ki, psi, and omega. That's the alphabet. I'm glad I put it on here. It'll help some people to memorize it. Your alphabet is in your concordance. It's on the front page of your Greek dictionary in the back. So all you have to do is open your concordance, and it's got it in there. Now, I'm trying to teach you how to look at things in the Bible. I told you last week, whosoever is not a Greek word, period. When the Bible says, whosoever believeth in him, it is never whosoever. John 3.16 does not say, whosoever believeth in him. It says, that the believing all shall have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Believing, the is the word ho. Ho. See it right here. It's nominative case. Nominative case. Masculine, gender, singular. It means singular. It's one, all. One. Anytime you've got words that modify a noun or pronoun, there's the pronoun it modifies. It all, always, these modifying words have to carry the same gender and number of the word that it modifies. The, believing in all, are all singular, singular, masculine gender. There is one, it actually says whole, P-I-S-T-E-U-O-N. Pistuon is the word believing. Believing is a participle, but it's not hard to understand a participle. A participle is a verbal Adjective. It's an adjective, and adjectives modify, they modify nouns and pronouns. They modify nouns and pronouns. This is the pronoun that it modifies. It has to carry the same gender and the same number as all. The number is singular or plural. The is singular, believing is singular, all is singular. There is one believing all. And what would the all be? It would be the bride, the wife, the church, the flock. That's the one all. There is one all. Take whosoever and throw it to the wind. It doesn't belong there. It's a bad translation. I can tell you why I believe that translators put whosoever in there, if you'd like to know. 
I can tell you why. In the Old Testament, from Adam until Jesus, the Gentiles were not called of God. They had no place in God's kingdom except for a certain few exceptions. Ruth the Moabite, Ruth, and possibly Nebuchadnezzar because he's the one that said he acknowledged Jehovah God after God struck him down on his all fours for seven times. I believe it was seven months. And Nebuchadnezzar said that all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will among the inhabitants of in the inhabitants of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. Stay is the word Mecca. That's a Hebrew word. It means to stop the hand of God of doing what he wants to do or arrest the hand of God. None can stay his hand or say to God, What doest thou? That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. So possibly Nebuchadnezzar. Uriah the Hittite, who was David's beloved soldier, he would he said, I cannot go into battle. I cannot go home and sleep with my wife while my king is at battle with the Ammonites. And possibly we know that there was a a Gittite that was David's soldier. His name was Ittai. And a Gittite was a Philistine. Where did David meet him? When he was driven out of Israel, where Saul was trying to kill him, he went to the lands of the Philistines, and he made friends with the Philistines. Evidently, Gittai, the Gittite, Ittai the Gittite, was a friend of David because he was one of the three generals that fled Jerusalem with David when David's son drove this Absalom, came in to attack his father, and he had three Three men that were his generals. He had his two nephews, Joab, Joab, and and Abishai, and one other man, Ittai. And that Ittai was more faithful than his own nephews, Abishai and Joab. Ittai said, "Wherever my king David goes, that's where I will go. And if he dies, I will die." Ittai was truly a godly man. So these are exceptions. But the Gentiles did not have the truth. So when you get to Acts 2, and God's going to pour out of His Spirit on all flesh, only one flesh had the truth in the Old Testament. That was the Jewish flesh. Started with started with Adam and then Seth and then down to Enosh and Canaan and Mahalalel all the way down to to Noah and then Abraham, Isaac and Jacob later on. Isaac and Jacob. And only that one flesh had the truth. Now all flesh, red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh, the Gentiles all flesh will have the truth. And this is why I believe the translators put whosoever. Whosoever. 
I believe that was just to include all the Gentiles, but it's not a good word because it's nowhere in the text. Nowhere. How do you know? I've gone through the text. I've got a paper that I wrote down all the words that look like it may be in the text, and it's not. Let me give you one one place. It looks like it's in the text, and it's not. Look over here in Revelation 22. 22. Verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him, let him that heareth come. But who's going to hear? That's the point. Akuo is the word here, A-K-O-U-O. Who can hear except God's elect family? Proverbs 20 and 12. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made even both of them. And here is the word shama in the Hebrew, and it's the same word as obey, the obedient ear. So let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will. That is a terrible translation. Terrible. I don't care who the translator is that put that in there. Everybody thinks when they see whosoever that will naturally follows it. It's not whosoever will. It says, and the willing. The is whole. Willing is the word T-H-E-L-O-N. Thelon is a form of thelema, T-H-E-L-E-M-A. means determination, determine. That's the same word that's used in John 1.13. John 1.13 says, We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word will is thelema. I love this word thalon or thalo, T-H-E-L-O. Thalon with the N on it is just a form of thalo. The, it says, the willing, let him take. Take. Take is a imperative command. Imperative, take lambano. Grab hold of. When is a man going to be willing? I've got to give you two verses here. When the Bible says, The wind bloweth where it listeth. There in John 3. Listeth is the word. Thelo. T-H-E-L-O. Thelo. The wind blows, blows where it wills to blow. And whosoever, Thalon, whosoever has the will. How are you going to be willing when you're not willing? When there's none that understandeth and none seeks after God. How are you going to be willing? Psalms 110.3, let's look at that. Psalms 110.3. Take is imperative command, lambano. It means 
this is God commanding everybody that has the will to take this, which you're not willing unless God puts the will in your heart. Look over here, Psalms 110. Psalms 110, and we'll look here in verse 3. I may read a verse before it. Psalms 110. Psalms 110, 3. Thy people, thy is a possessive pronoun. It means God owns them. He's owned us before the foundation of the world. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Kayil, C-H-A-Y-I-L. Well, that takes me to so many places. Kayil means force. When it's commonly translated as army, virtue, sometimes it's translated wealth, but it doesn't mean money. It just means army or force or power. In fact, I've got a paper on that. It'll tell you every time this word is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy 8 when the people, when these charismatics will say, it's God that gives thee power to get wealth. And they just got into the promised land, or they're just moving into the promised land, and none of them are rich. Wealth just means power over other people. As long as they were obedient to God, they could go against their enemy one way, and they would flee seven ways. That's the power of God, and that's the power that God gives a man. So when he says, let him take, take, Lambano is imperative mood. How do you find that out? You look in, you get the word out of an interlinear, exactly the spelling and then you take an analytical lexicon look it up in the Greek according to the Greek dictionary and it'll have IMP and that means imperative it's a command anytime you see IMP it's a command it's just as much as a command as when God said let there be light just God doesn't have minor commands and major commands all of his commands are commands Now, I want to explain some things about Scripture. I want to, let me take you over to, over to John. And how are you going to find this out if you don't know something about how to use these books? An interlinear, you got to get the exact, Mr. Strong, I said this last week. Mr. Strong, when you look up a word in Strong's, let me write it down on the board so people can see it. Mr. Strong, he gives you the base word of something. Let me say it one more time. That way you can, maybe you can see it. He has, he has all these cases He has singular, plural, 
masculine, feminine, neuter, gender under the singular, masculine, feminine, neuter under the plural. Then he has the cases, nominative, genitive, dative, and accusative case. You will notice on this chart that some of these have an extra case down here, vocative case, vocative, vocative. This is the word small, mikros, Mikros is the word small. That's not hard. What do you call a microbe? A microbe is something small you have to look at under a microscope. It comes with the word microscope from microbe. So you have to look at something on a microbe. Mikros means small. It's not hard to remember. Just remember microbe. And you have a vocative case under. But you notice the vocative cases are never in the plural. You got a, This is the word righteous. You've got a vocative case in that, in the singular, but not in the plural. You have a vocative case and true or truth, alatheis. Alethea of truth and you've got a vocative case there but you don't have it in the plural and so you got a vocative case in certain that's a direct address hey stop that like that like address like a direct address Mr. Strong when you look up a word in Strong's Concordance all he gives you he only gives you nominative case, masculine gender, singular. That's all he gives you. And you'll get the definition, the basic definition, because all the other words in that in that chart, he gives you nominative case, masculine, singular, right here. That's all he gives you. When the Bible says, For God so loved the world, the word world is actually accusative case it's actually when you look up world in Strong's Concordance it will say cosmos but when you look it up in an interlinear Bible or you look up the word in a analytical lexicon it will say cosmon that's because it is accusative case it's a direct object it receives the action of the verb loved Remember, loved God, loved world. Loved is an action verb. God is the subject, and world is the is the direct object. The direct object receives the action of the verb. So, God loved world. Now, but Mister Strong only gives you. This right here. Nominative, masculine, singular. I'm going to show you why that's important. Show you why that's important. Turn over to John 14. John 14. This is very important. John 14. And... 
it seems like the translators had a habit of translating the definite article the that's a definite article they that is a that is an article is an adjective they didn't have any indefinite articles in the greek a and an is never there well the bible says god that this angel bound Satan for a thousand years. A is not there. B. They had a habit of translating the, which is an adjective, into a pronoun. You can't do that. And actually into a possessive pronoun. Possessive means it owns something. It possesses something. Him or his. His. They would translate thee to his all the time. And it's, I'll show you why I believe they did it. When you look here in John, the 14th chapter. John 14. John 14, look here in, let's start in verse 1. Now, when a husband would go to meet his wife, she had been bought and paid for by the father, and having been bought and paid for, he would say, I'm going to my father's house to build you a room. And he would go and meet her, at the beginning of the betrothal period. Betrothal was the engagement period. And all the time they were engaged, she was called wife. Only when she was taken out a year later would she be called bride, and she was called bride from then on the rest of her existence. Now, I want to look here and give you something that might be of interest to you. All right. Look here in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. That's what he would say. If you believe in my Father, believe also in me. He's talking to the apostles, the nucleus of the church the wife he's engaged to the wife and she will become the bride now why is this important about thee let me show you let not your heart be troubled if you believe in my father he would be saying this to his wife his his betrothed if you believe my father, believe also on me. I'm going to my father's house. And he would be talking to her at the beginning of the engagement. I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to build a room on my father's house for you. In my father's house are many 
rooms. It doesn't say mansions, rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He would come back a year later at midnight and call her out like a thief. Whither I go, you know, and the way, the way you know. The way, the is the word hey. <coughs> if you look at this chart, it's feminine gender. Feminine. All these are feminine. And the way you know. And then he goes on to say, the way you know, Thomas saith in him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the hodos, the way? How can we know the feminine way? And Jesus says, How can we know the way, Thomas says? Thomas is the one that doubted. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the hodos. He said, I am the hodos. Jesus is not a feminine way. He's not a female. What does he mean, I am the feminine way? It's because he's talking to the wife, feminine Female, he's saying, I am the way, and you already know it in your heart, and it's been written in fleshy tables of your heart, and you are the wife, the bride, therefore I'm the feminine way that's in you. You know it. It's narrow. And Jesus saith, I am the way. Hey, when you look at the first three times it says it here, it is the word hey. He says, I am, I am the hey way, the truth, hey. Hey is feminine. He's not a female. What does he mean he's the truth? He is the aletheia that's written on fleshy tables of their heart. And that's the wife he's talking to. Is it important to know this? Yes. I'm the way, the truth. And I am the feminine, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, the one feminine way. It has to be written on fleshy tables of our heart. It's feminine important here. It's all important. When he says, I am the way, he says, I am the hodos. Hodos is the word, it's the word way, it's the narrow way. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And only a few people in the world will find that narrow way. Have you noticed what he's saying is I, it's written in your heart and you will be obedient to me because I wrote that in your heart. You, you cannot be a Christian without being in the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo. It is a form of the word thalipsis. 
So he's talking about more than just the way here. The word Philippians is tribulation. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. In the world you shall have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Overcome is the verb form of it's the verb form of victory. Overcome is the word Nick N I K A O. Victory is the word N I K E. I'll get it in a minute. N-I-K-E looks like Nike, and I'm sure that's where they got the word. If you buy Nike shoes, you'll be able to outrun everybody else. Word overcome is Nikao, Nikao, and victory is Nike. And what's the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. Death to self. You can overcome the world by dying to the flesh. Now, I want to tell you about some things I want to give you something that is just amazing to me it's I have talked to you about baptize does not mean to immerse in water it absolutely does not I'm going to tell you the story one more time I think it's one of the most amazing stories that I have heard on baptize I have told y'all that baptized come from baptizo and bapto. The amazing thing, you can look up in your concordance and look up baptize and it will take you to over into the old into the Greek dictionary in the back that I've been telling you about and it will say baptizo means to whelm. It does not say it means to immerse unless somebody has gotten hold of the concordances and put some new modern definitions in a in a in a new abridged concordance. I don't like the abridged concordance. When they put immerse, it doesn't mean to that. It means to whelm. When you are overwhelmed That means something is literally coming over you to cover you all over. Cover. It doesn't mean to immerse or dip at all. It means to whelm, and then it will say to stain with a dye. i got to tell you this story one more time. First time I saw that years ago, I said, What? To stain with the dye, I thought it was dipping somebody in water, and it's not. It means to cover over with blood. If there's one baptism in Ephesians 4 and 5, it's blood. It's not H2O. It's not water. This story is about a lady that used to come here. She was going up to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, the two largest Southern Baptist Convention seminaries in America is Louisville, Kentucky and Fort Worth, Texas. In Fort Worth, where I was raised, you have Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Southwestern. In Louisville, you got Southern Seminary. 
it's a Southern Baptist seminary, Southern seminary. And this lady was going to a Southern seminary. And they had a they had an announcement that a doctor of theology was going to come and talk to him. Not any doctor of theology. This man was president. President of Dallas Theological Seminary. Dallas Theological is not just a seminary. That's a post-graduate. And when you graduate from Southern or Southwestern and you decide you want to go on further with your education, you go to Dallas Theological and some of the most brilliant men that have ever lived in the 20th century were professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. They were extremely intelligent. And one of them was Dwight Pentecost, a very brilliant man. He said some things I think are amazing. I even use his some of the things he said in some of my teachings. Don't look at the president of the Southern Baptist Convention for a scholarly man. That's ne- He's always the best politician. He's running for office. So this president of Dallas Theological came to Southern Seminary while this lady was at Southern Seminary. And he got up to speak. And she said, when he started talking, he sounded like you. She said, he started telling us that baptized did not mean to immerse in water, that it meant to cover with a stain or die. She said, I'd never heard anybody else say that. And he was the head of one of the biggest prestigious seminaries in America. Said he said that. She said, I was just kind of in shock. I knew I'd heard you say that. And I didn't get it from him. I got it out of books, out of concordances, out of the books. She said she left that day and she started walking across the campus and she sees this doctor, this head of this seminary coming and said, she stopped and said, can I ask you a question? She said, yeah. He said, sure. She said, why does the Baptist in America insist on dipping people in water? She said, he looked down to me and said one word, tradition. It just has no backing. He knew the truth. I wonder if he said any more about it. It's like Glenn said to me one night after I preached on a blood baptism. He said, if people keep holding on to their water, they'll never deal with a blood baptism. So baptize means, where is it, what is this water? The water is... Halakha. That's the water washing. The water was a Pharisee baptism. It was a Pharisee baptism. 
It was a halakha. Let me give you halakha one more time. Halakha was what the Bible calls tradition. It was the traditionary law. Traditionary law. When you look at any time the Bible says tradition in the New Testament is the word paradosis and it will tell you that it was the traditionary law of Moses. It doesn't say it was the law of Moses. It was the traditionary law of Moses. That was the Pharisee law of Moses. They said that Moses was given the traditionary law on Mount Sinai. And that is a verbal law. Boy, I've preached on this so many times. Nobody even knows where the water baptism comes from. It comes from the Pharisees. Gosh, how can I do this and make this short? I can't. When Israel was scattered because of Christmas, while they were a nation under kings, while they were a nation under kings, they didn't go after Baal in the grove in First and Second Samuel. They start going after Baal in the grove in First Kings, particularly under Solomon in the eleventh chapter, and under Ahab in the sixteenth chapter. So they go after Baal in the grove, and they went after Baal in the grove in the Judges. But First and Second Samuel is the books. I call that the book of Saul and David. That's when Saul was trying to kill David because he was accusing David of trying to steal his kingdom. And they weren't involved in Baal in the Grove yet. But they get real heavy into it over here in 1 Kings. So all the way through Second Chronicles, God says, if you go after any other gods, I'll send the sword against you. Your enemies will come and slaughter you. I'll send the famine. I'll send no rain or too much rain. And your crops will mildew. And we saw that under Elijah. When he declared no rain for three and a half years. And I'll send the famine, sword, famine, pestilence. I'll send disease of all kinds. I believe all of the diseases in America, including coronavirus, including the black plague and the bubonic plague and the, and the AIDS and the Ebola, and all that is judgment from God. People can't get it in their heads. That's God judging a world that just has twisted and polluted His Word all to pieces. So God says, I'll scatter you, and He sends Assyria to carry northern Israel away. Northern Israel. And that's what's amazing. That goes along with that goes along with back here that goes along with this right here. 
They were scattered all over the world. They came back. They all spoke all these different dialects. And when they're scattered by northern Israel, was scattered. Southern Judah is scattered by Babylon. And they they come back over here. And every, every feast day, they got to come back. Well, when they get over to Babylon, that's southern Judah. They say that we have to have. Now, they did not obey God over here in Israel. They were completely disobedient going after other these other gods. But when they get to Babylon, the leaders of, they should have been, they should have been the priests of Israel that come out of the tribe of Levi. I believe that just certain ones took over in Babylon. And they said, we've got to have a law in Babylon. So what they did, they said, we will bring this law in Israel over to Babylon. And we will translate it into the Babylonian Aramaic. So they did. And they call that translate they call that translation the Targum. And when it was translated, they said, We've got to have somebody. We've got to have commentators telling all the Jews in Babylon what these words mean out of this translation. And they had they had they had uh, what they call the verbal law, and that verbal law they said was the traditionary law of Moses, and they said it was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and Jesus contradicted them when they said that. He said, "You've heard that it hath been said by these Pharisees of old time." Now, when people hear those words, they think that means you have heard that it hath been said by them of the days of Israel. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about old time is when they were carried away in 586 B.C. And they get begin to say, we've got to have a verbal law. And they had a written commentary. The verbal law was called halakha. And the written law was called Haggadah. And if you have a set of McClinic and Strong, you can pull out the T volume and look up Talmud and it will tell you exactly what the Haggadah and the Haggadah were. The Haggadah could not be spoken aloud. And the halakha was just a bunch of garbage. And the verbal law, the halakha, could not be written down. It could not be written. And what would happen as a new head rabbi, they had a head rabbi, instead of having, instead of having a high priest, and they came up with a, a way to meet, and they called it synagogue. Synagogue is Babylonian. And what they studied in the synagogue was the halakha. My wife Mary was down at shopping center one day back four or five years ago. 
and she was talking to a Jewish woman. The reason she knew she's Jewish because Mary held on the star of David. The woman said, are you a Jew? Mary said, I'm a Jew of the heart. And then the woman said, uh, do you study the Bible? Mary said, yes, but I know what you study. She said, what's that? She said, you study Halakha. And the woman was kind of shocked and said, how do you know that? said, my husband teaches on that. That's what they teach in these synagogues. Synagogue was was Babylonian. Synagogue from comes from Sun and Ago. Ago means to lead. Sun means to gather. It means to gather together. It actually means assembly of God. That's not a good thing to call yourself because that was wicked. <coughs> that was wicked and evil. And as a new as a rabbi would die, a new head rabbi would come in and put his opinion on what these verses, what they translated over to the Aramaic was six hundred and thirteen laws of the Jews. The Jews said they had six hundred and thirteen laws. I don't know if it's more than that. If I counted them, it'd probably be different. But they said they had six hundred and thirteen laws called the Targum. They translated them over and they said they had to tell the people what those things meant. Sounds just like a bunch of Baptists and Pentecostals today. They read the Bible and say, here's my opinion about what this means. And they don't even define the words. And they said that verbal law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And Jesus said, I didn't say that. Let me take you over to... Let me take you over to Matthew 5. Matthew, the fifth chapter... And he's talking to the blessed ones. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have to know that kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God were one and the same. That was a term for Israel. Why kingdom of God? Well, because God was their king before their first man king, Saul. Solomon. Solomon. Samuel said, you... You wanted a, a king when God was your king? There in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. He's talking about the blessed are they that mourn and all these blessed ones here. Then he gets down here to verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy any of it. I came to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall not pass from the law till all be fulfilled. That sounds like something peculiar, and it's not. The jot was the yod of the Hebrew alphabet. The yod was the smallest letter. So about like that. Smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The tittle was the smallest marking on a Hebrew letter. The tittle was a little tit like that. Or like this. 
if you change a tittle, you change a lamed, an L, to a D, just by putting a tittle on there. So he's talking about the smallest letters of the Hebrew alphabet. He said, they will not change. Then he says, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, and shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, one of what least commandments? Jots or tittles change the word of God. Who changes the word of God? The Pharisees change the word. When you get down to the Pharisees during Jesus' time, they were, they came back from Babylon. They were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue. They were the rabbis. Now let's read on here. The Pharisees had changed everything. Let's go on and read. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, the jots and the tittles, changing the word of God, and shall teach men so. That's exactly what the preachers are doing today. They've changed the word of God. Talk about tongues when there's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues. Talk about faith healing. There's no such thing as faith healing. Faith doesn't heal, it saves. Every time the Bible says that faith has made thee whole, every time the word whole is sold, so it's the word saved. There's, nothing, there's no physical healing. I keep saying this, why does the most famous faith healers that's ever lived in America over the last hundred years, why does they all die of a disease? Oh, Roberts died of pneumonia. Where'd you get that? Off the internet, they'll tell you. Kenneth Hagin, the man who organized and propagated the positive confession movement, died of a heart attack. Paul Crouch, who started DBN, the Devil's Broadcasting Network, died of congestive heart failure that he was wrestling with for the last 10 years of his life. The internet will tell you that. His purple-haired wife, Jan Crouch, died of a stroke connected with a heart attack. Why didn't they call Benny Hinn in to heal him? It's crazy. Then he says, So they have added jots and tittles to the word of God. Whoever teach men to do, whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of God. Keep the jots and tittles in. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees who change the jots and tittles. They change the meaning of the Bible as the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue. Ye shall in no case, no, by no means, enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, referring to these Scribes and Pharisees, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. When he said he've heard that it hath been said during the time of the Pharisees, old time, 
is the time, 600 B.C., of the building of the synagogue, of the, of the creation of the verbal law, where they said, we've got to give our opinion. So the Pharisees did not believe in the law of Moses. They believed in the traditionary law of Moses, the one that was the verbal law. And Jesus said, I didn't say that. And this is Jesus' first message. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And he's correcting the Pharisees all through this. You've heard that it was said by them of old time. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Crisis, that means the tribunal in Jerusalem. Crisis. Now some of the things they said were true, and some of the things they said were not true. And then he says, But I say, when he says, but... What this is, this is a word that's going to give you the total opposite of what they were saying. It's a contradiction. But I say, I didn't say that. But I say that it was said by them of old time. Excuse me. But I say unto you that whosoever be angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. If you're just angry with your brother for no reason, you're in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, which means empty-headed fool. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the blessed ones. He says, you blessed ones that are meek and poor in spirit, if anyone says you're a fool for being this way, then they're in danger of the council. And whosoever shall look at the blessed ones and say, You're a fool for being poor in spirit. You're a fool for being mourning over sin. You're a fool for being meek. You're a fool for hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You're a fool for being merciful. You're in danger of hellfire because you're not believing the truth. That doesn't mean if you call a man a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. It means if you say to the meek and the downtrodden and the brokenhearted and the bruised that are believing Jesus, that they're fools for being that way, then you're in danger of hellfire. And all through here he goes through this. He says over here in verse 27, You have heard that it hath been said by the Pharisees of old time when they were babies of the Babylonian synagogue. You have heard that it hath been said. It's very important. It's a reference to the verbal law. And everything that Jesus dealt with the Pharisees on from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can't even understand these books unless you study the Holocaust of the Pharisees because everything that Jesus said was correcting them on their opinionated laws the same way God is going to correct those Baptists for saying accept Christ and sinners prayer for salvation it's not true they've changed the word of God just like the Pharisees have Verse 27, you heard that it had been said by the Pharisees when they were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, let me tell you what I said. It was Jesus that was on the mountain with Moses. 
He was the I am on the Old Testament. He said he was before Abraham was I am. The Pharisees picked up stones to stone him in John 8 because he said he was the I am God. But unto you, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You see, most people consider adultery with a married woman. Jesus said it's any woman you look on to lust after her. You're committing adultery. And he says on down here, it hath been said in verse 31, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. The really bad thing about this verse, writing is not in the original text. You have to look up the word writing in the interlinear Bible and it's not there. It actually says, it hath been said. Let me tell you what it says in the interlinear Bible. Let me erase some of this. This is a bad translation by the translators. They did a lot of bad translations in the King James Bible. When you, If you're willing to learn the Greek and look at the original text, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of error. There's no error in the Textus Receptus. That's the Greek text. The error is when these human beings with human frailties, they start translating the Word of God. They made mistakes. It says here, It hath been said, Whosoever will put away his wife, let him give her a writing. Writing should be there. But they didn't say that. It says, let them give her a divorcement without the writing. Writing is not there in the interlinear Bible. It's not there. All it says was, let her, let him give her an apostasy on. That is the word divorce. It means apo and stasis. This is what the Pharisees said, standing away from. The Pharisees said, if they saw a woman that was better looking than their wife, or if the wife had burnt her bread, she acted silly out in public, all those were reasons to put her away. Put away. Put away just means they could walk into the house and say, I divorce you, get out. And all she could take with her was what she had in her hair tied into her hair. She had her dowry in her hair, coins and jewelry. And everywhere she went, she had it with her. Because if her husband said, I divorce you, get out, she had to leave. And when she left, Israel was such a poverty-stricken nation in the first century. Nobody was rich except the Pharisees and the publicans. Publican was a representative of Rome and Israel, and he was told by Rome, 
I want so much money that you collect from every individual. Whatever you decide to put on top of that, that'll be your commission. And he could put on it what he wanted to, and you had to pay it. And all of Israel hated the publicans. They were considered the lowest life in the world. They were starving Israel to death. Matthew was a set at the receipt of custom. He was a publican. And Jesus said, follow me, and he did. He left an excellent job of cheating people. Zacchaeus was a publican. He was not only a publican, he was the chief of the publicans. He said, if I have stolen anything from any man, I'll restore him fourfold. A publican was appointed by Rome to tax the people in Israel. Tax. That's why when the publican wouldn't even lift up his head and smote his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner, the prayer didn't save him. His belief saved him. He believed on God before he prayed that prayer. Now, where was I? Let me show you. So he, the, they actually said in verse 31, that's a bad translation. Writing is not there. If writing was there, or bill was there, bill of divorce, it was not a proper divorce unless you gave a bill, which was a statement written on a paper, written on a paper that you were divorcing your wife and you had to give her one half of all the property. And it had to say in the divorce, you can go and be married to another, even if she had committed fornication or adultery she could go and be married if she was repentant you can see that in Deuteronomy 24 these guys they were messing up the word of God I need to get back to what I was talking about I'll read more about them in Deuteronomy 24 let me read this and people don't even know what our John MacArthur trying to comment on this it means exactly what it says but you'd have to take into consideration if the woman had committed fornication she had to repent and if she repented then all would be forgiven it's just like David David committed adultery and murder when he murdered Uriah the Hittite and committed adultery with his wife and she got pregnant but when Nathan stood before him and said, Thou art the man, David, David began to weep and cry and said, I only have sinned. And he repented. So it says here in verse 24, When a man hath married a wife, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, now, Jesus said that uncleanness was fornication. Let him write her a bill of divorcement so she can get half the property. The women were turned into the street by the Pharisees and they had to depend on prostitution for making a living. They were so poor in that day and time. Jesus said, I'm tired of this. That's why the Pharisees came up to Jesus 
in Matthew 19 and said, Can a man divorce his wife for every cause? That's what they did. And let him write her a bill of divorcement. That was a statement. And send her out of his house. When she's departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Because you can't get married after you've been divorced. Certainly you can if there's repentance there. Why does everybody miss this? I heard John MacArthur read this and just double talked on it. Well, you see, backward and forward. It means you can... The Bible means what it says and says what it means. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorce and giveth it in her hand and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. You can get married again, but you can't go back to the previous wife or husband. I've got so much to say on this, but I haven't got time. One of the things... Maybe I need to reserve this for next week. Am I about out of time, Mike? Yeah. One of the things that they put in the halakha, they the Pharisees put this in, was proselyte. Baptism. The Pharisees said in their halakha, that if a man wanted to come from another nation, be a member of Israel, the kingdom of God, all he had to do was be circumcised, washed in water, and where they got the washing in water from, they got that from the temple where they had the brazen sea down here that held 2,000 gallons. And all the priests washed in that as they went to the altar and offered sacrifice and then come back here and wash their hands and feet. That's another story. They'd be circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves. Two turtle doves. That was a prescribed sacrifice for a man to become... It was a naturalization process for a person to come from let's say Greece going to come down here he had to forsake everything he had there all his property all of his money come down to Israel and start over from scratch he had to be circumcised washed in water over two turtle doves and they said in their halakha that if a man would do this they had to listen to him That's why Jesus was washed in water. When he went to John the Baptist, he said, let's fulfill all righteousness. Let's fulfill the righteousness of the Pharisees. John said in John the first chapter, John the Baptist said, therefore am I come washing in water that Christ might be made manifest to Israel. He he wasn't washed in water so we could show an outward sign of an inward work of God. That's just some Baptist thing. He was washed because the Pharisees kept calling him a Samaritan. 
He was raised in Nazareth. They considered that the most filthy place on the face of the earth and the Pharisees wouldn't even walk into Nazareth. They wouldn't walk into northern Israel. That's another story. They wouldn't even walk into it. So when they called Jesus a Samaritan, that was filth to them. It was filth coming off of their lips. Jesus tells John, if I'm washed in water, I was circumcised there in Luke, the first chapter. My mother brought me after 40 days of her setting herself apart. That was a quarantine time for newborn babies. And she offered two turtle doves. All I like is this washing in water and they will have to listen to me. That's what the water was for. It wasn't the true baptism. So they used the word baptize. I got much more to say on this. People who want to fight me over baptism, you're fighting me over the Greek, over the halakha, over the Pharisees, and I dare say you don't know nothing about the halakha. Well, I got all kinds of books. I've got one of the best set of books, five volume set, commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and Hebraica. By Lightfoot. Boy, he'll tell you about the Pharisees. Halakha. I have the Mishnah. This, I'm out of time. I'll come back to the Mishnah next week. It developed finally about 200 AD into the Talmud and was full of garbage. The Pharisees did the same thing the Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Charismatics are doing. They added, they're adding to the Word of God. They're changing the jots and tittles. I got much more to say on this, and I'm going to say some more on it. I'm just tired of preachers changing the Word of God. Baptize only means to wash with blood. He's washed for our sins in his own blood. That's the truth. Our robes are made white in the blood of Christ. That's the true baptism. I'm just, I'm fed up with these people changing the Word of God. I'm going to come back and continuing this probably even Saturday. What I'm into has got so many variations to the subject. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, I pray that you'll you'll somehow cause the church to be strong in the Word. Not to listen to all of these winds of doctrine that makes them apathetic, Lord. You said it did. And you weren't talking about unbelievers. You're talking about believers listening to these winds. That's what so many of these people that write me there, we're listening to the winds of doctrine but not going to the facts and truth, Lord. God, help us to live righteously and godly for you. Fight our battles and lead us to your family and cause us to strengthen everybody that is connected with grace and truth. We'll praise you for everything you're doing, the good and the bad. In Christ's name, amen. I just barely get started on the halakha and I have to stop. If I repeat things, y'all have to forgive me.
because I just don't think it's that easy to understand. Next lesson will be just a continuation of this. I can't get off of this. There's too much to it. I hope it was clear, but it's you got to nearly hear the whole picture for it to be real clear. I like you repeating yourself. Well, I have to. There's too much information. It's like saying I'm going to teach you nuclear physics and I'm going to go through it one time. Yeah. You can't go it through it one time. The more you hear it, the more you learn it. Yeah. That's it. I'll have to go back through some of this because it's just too much to it. When I get to teaching on baptism, it actually takes six or eight months, one message after the other, to really get a fairly get clear picture of it all. It actually just takes too much to six it. or eight months. One you message can't preach it other, in one lesson to really get a 